Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing? Doing great. We are in Advent, and that is one of my favorite times of the year. I've said in worship a time or two that it kind of builds uh, a natural time of revival. And Advent and Lent are not anything that you're going to be able to look into the Bible and say, oh, here's how you do this. Um, They came from early church tradition. Uh, The liturgical colors are purple, and so you're going to see me in a purple tie just about every week with one exception, maybe two. Um, and, And purple signifies not only royalty, but it also signifies mourning. And so for both the season of Lent in preparation for the celebration of the resurrection and the season of Advent in preparation for the celebration of the incarnation, you, uh, we are all being called to self-reflection, to introspection, mourning over our own sin, but then being encouraged by the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so um, I say all that to say I'm a Christmas junkie. I always have been. Um, and it is a wonderful time of year for me. So I'm, th- I'm thrilled, so thrilled. How about you? How's your family? How are you all doing? Yeah, we're great. Uh, God is good. Right now we're going through a sleep regression with uh, little Thomas. So we're Oh, bless your heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but God is good. We're just so thankful. They're so healthy. Um, I guess that's all I can say. Just yeah. I'm just so thankful. Yeah. And, and and a little sleep deprived, I'd say. A little bit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm still awake, so we're we're going to continue rolling. Well, there you go. <laughs> so, like you say, this past Sunday was the first Sunday of Advent, so it's the Sunday of hope. And we talked about Zachariah and Elizabeth. So the passage for this weekend was Luke one sixty seven through seventy nine. And his father Zachariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear." in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace." Okay, so we have this incredible, incredible prophecy that Zechariah utters over his son, John the Baptist. So my question for today is, why is the birth of John the Baptist so important? Like, we, we intuit that he's really important, sure. but what function did he serve, and is that function fulfilled and done? Yeah, so um, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was a period of time of 400 years. So um, basically from Malachi to Matthew— um, for us, it's turning a page, but in in real time history, it was four centuries. Uh, you didn't have a prophet for those four hundred years, so without a prophet, you cannot have a word of God. And 
<clears throat> so what you have is Malachi kind of left us on on the precipice of an uh, of a cliff. We're, we're waiting, and and in Malachi chapter four verses five and six, the prophet said, um, "Behold." I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And what you have in John the Baptist is the one who has come to prepare the way for the Lord, who has come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And Jesus himself said that, um, that John the Baptist had come as God's promised one who would make straight the path for the Lord, who would prepare the way for the Lord. And we saw that as he functioned in his ministry with Jesus, saying to the people who were gathered there to hear him preach when Jesus came nearby, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then the next day when he sees Jesus again and he's got his two disciples there with him, one of whom is Andrew, Behold the Lamb of God. And so John is doing exactly what he's supposed to do. And, and even later when John's disciples kind of wanted to bring him into a competition with Jesus, you know, saying, well, they're baptizing more than we are. What's this all about? Um, John said, he must increase, but I must decrease. And that's John 3.30. Um, so John the Baptist is fulfilling this very essential role. So his birth is vitally important because this is God bringing about the fulfillment of this prophecy that he had given through the prophet Malachi. And John fulfilling this amazing role. So we talked about in the sermon on Sunday that there were specific prophecies about him and that that have been, essentially he would live a Nazarite life, um, not a Nazarene life. There's a difference between a Nazarene and a Nazarite. Jesus is a Nazarene. He's from Nazareth. A Nazarite was somebody who who was given a vow and took upon themselves a vow from God to live in purity with regard to what they ate, what they drank, what they did with their hair, all those sorts of things. And so John the Baptist was essentially a Nazarite throughout the course of his life. He never had alcohol. He, he um, lived a very set-apart unto God sort of life, such that the world looked at him and said, you're weird. Um, so uh, there's a reason that when DC Talk put out the song Jesus Freak so many years ago, they used John the Baptist as one of their examples of the original Jesus Freak. So, um, But that's what you have, and that's a big deal. What you're seeing, and Zechariah speaks to this in his prophecy, is, again, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. What is he saying? He is saying, our God keeps his promises. And what has just been revealed to me through the birth of this son, who is not only a wonderful child that fulfills our long-expected and, and held dreams, but he is also the fulfillment of God's prophecy through um, Malachi. And what is happening is God is keeping his promise that we have been waiting on for so long. And we haven't heard from God in 400 years. Now, we know there were some miraculous things that went on in that intervening time. Obviously, the, the stories of the Maccabees, and, and we're getting ready to come to Hanukkah. I believe Hanukkah, Hanukkah starts Thursday. Thursday. Um, and so, you know, there were some amazing historical events that happened during that time. But they were waiting for the consolation of Israel. And John the Baptist coming 
is the is the is the final preparation for the coming of the consolation of Israel, and Zechariah is praising God for that. Yeah, you even have Josephus talk about John the Baptist as someone preparing the way for the Lord, as yeah. it were. His description of John the Baptist in the Antiquities of the Jews is he was a good man who commanded the Jews to exercise virtue both as to righteousness towards one another and piety towards God, and so to come to baptism. So you even have you know a source who's not you know a, a Christian or a believer in Jesus, Josephus, recording that is the legacy of John, yeah. um, which is you know in line with the prophets of old. Yep. trying to bring the nation to repentance. I, in your sermon, I was thinking of, you know, Samuel, you know, born Nazarite and, um, you know, leading the nation to repentance, but especially Elijah, you know, trying to oh, lead yeah. people to repentance. Um, when you think about John the Baptist in terms of like Old Testament prophets, it makes a lot of sense seeing him, you know, telling people to, people to repent, giving them specific ways as soldiers or as tax collectors, how they can quit sinning, turn around, and start doing good. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And he had a vitally important ministry. And I'll tell you, having now been to the place where he did his baptizing, um, <laughs> dwelling in the wilderness of Israel is not a pleasant thing to do. And uh, being there at what is now called Qasr al-Yahud um, and uh, Beth, you know, the section of the Jordan River there near Bethany and all those sorts of things, he didn't have an easy job. He didn't have an easy life, but he he carried it out faithfully until he was executed at the whim of a young lady. And so um, his life wasn't easy, but man, did he fulfill an amazing role in the kingdom of God. Amen. And just a little factoid on that, Josephus says that Herod's army was destroyed because he beheaded John the Baptist. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> so um, that's a different, that's an interesting story unto itself. We'll have to talk about that at some point. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, my goodness. Yeah. Well, so talking specifically about Zechariah and Elizabeth, we saw that they were infertile, and yes. then miraculously they conceived John the Baptist. But why is infertility such a common motif in the Bible, and especially among characters that the Bible describes as righteous? You know, it's it's very interesting to me. I don't know that that I have an answer to say, well, the Bible says this is why these people struggled with infertility. Um, but I think that the miraculous birth of a child after that season of deep frustration and disappointment brings about such rejoicing at the hand of God revealed. Now, from a biological perspective, I can tell you, having studied developmental biology and all those sorts of things, the number of things that have to go right for conception to happen is overwhelming. It is overwhelming. The number of things that have to be timed perfectly and have to, I mean, it's just, it's remarkable. And that's why we talk about the miracle of childbirth because, you know, it's it's just amazing the number of, and we still don't understand all that has to happen for childbirth to occur because as we study developmental biology and the, and the, and the growth of that baby inside his or her mother's womb, um, the development of the brain and how all of those things happen. I studied when I was an undergrad under a developmental neurobiologist. That was his job. And so he studied the development of the brain in 
babies, uh, human babies and, and animal babies just um, while they were in utero. And it's just remarkable. There's so many things we don't understand. But I'll tell you, the adage is when you see a baby, you have to believe in God. Uh, you know, you just, there's something about going to the maternity ward and looking at those babies and saying, you know, there's no way this is random. Mm -hmm. There's no way, at the very least, you you have to confess some degree of theism, uh, some degree of design, because it is just phenomenal to see it happen. So when you see a baby born, you you kind of automatically praise and worship God, even uh, if you're not a devout individual. So I think that may have something to do with it, that that God is revealing his hand in a way that kind of automatically credits God with what's going on. And, and then, you know, he's the author of life, but he's also the author of how our lives unfold before us. And so he's doing miraculous things. You know, Abram and Sarai, who became Abraham and Sarah, could not conceive, but then God brought forth Isaac. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, for whatever reason, could not conceive, but then God brought forth John the Baptist. And so um, you see his hand revealed. Now, I think another thing that God is doing, I don't know, I don't know if everybody has this perspective. Maybe I do because I'm a pastor and I talk with people a lot about very, very intimate things in their lives. There are a whole lot of people who struggle with infertility. Most of them struggle silently, and I will add they suffer silently. Um, and there may be people listening to this podcast right now who are in the middle of that journey right now. And and I always want to be clear, you know, do not feel like the Lord has abandoned you. And I think it's so encouraging, even for those who are in the middle of that struggle, to be able to look into Scripture and see so many righteous human beings that the Bible would describe as righteous or blameless or people um, who, who were used greatly of Almighty God. Because I think the number one way that the enemy tries to lie to people working through that journey of infertility is, you sinner. You know, what have you done that God is punishing you in this way? And we have so many examples in Scripture of people who didn't do anything overtly wrong, not anything more wrong than anybody else had done, uh, who had all the children that they could ever conceive of. And so um, I think it's an encouragement to say, look, just understand that although the enemy is lying to you, you know, and you're going into Job's friends mode, and we all know, you know, Job's friends came and said, "Hey, all these bad things happened. What did you do?" And Job's like, nah, "I didn't do anything. I, I don't know what this is about." And they said, "No, of course you did something. Nobody goes through this level of calamity without having done something." We call that reverse retribution theology. And I think one of the things that God is doing through all of these examples of wonderful, godly people who dealt with infertility through Scripture is encouraging those who are dealing with it now, that don't do reverse retribution theology on yourself. Oh, I'm struggling. I must have done something wrong. No, um, we don't know why that struggle is there. Uh, but God is gracious, and God is generous, and God is loving, and, and God has plans for you, just as he had plans for these others. Now, that may result in the birth of a biological child, but that also may result in a child who's been born to biological parents who either cannot or will not provide for that child 
being welcomed into your arms and being raised up. Um, I think about Joseph. Joseph was not Jesus's biological dad, and yet he raised him as his own. Uh, he he raised him as a tecton, <laughs> as, as as we translate that word carpenter, but it really it, it has more of a connotation of, of a handy worker. You know, Jesus was was skilled. He was skilled in his labor, and he was skilled in his labor because he had Joseph, who was not his biological father, but who embraced him as his own and raised him up and uh, taught him what it meant to trust and follow Almighty God, even as Jesus himself grew in, in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. So, you know, we don't know the reason why. But what we do know is that God has deeply and profoundly used people who have struggled with infertility and navigated that journey by faith in him. So this discussion of infertility does go nicely into today's practical application question. So the question is, if we don't live in an age of miracles like Zechariah and Elizabeth, should we have lower expectations for miraculous provisions in this lifetime? You know, I think that's a great question. Uh, there's a theological discussion about the miraculous, and, and there's a whole conversation there. Some people are cessationists and don't believe that the miraculous still happens today. Um, I, I, I can't go that way of cessationism. Um, however, I also think on the other side, of the, the pendulum swings a little far uh, with some of our, our quote-unquote Christian ministries who— um, they're, they're chasing miracles and often asking for your seed money to pay for them. Um, so I can't go that far either. But I do believe that God does miraculous work today. I think we saw that happen this past Sunday in our church as a young man came forward and professed his faith in Jesus Christ. That's a miracle. A sinner who is dead in his sin, unable to save himself and without hope and without God in the world, uh, was saved and raised to everlasting life by Almighty God through Jesus Christ our Lord by the profound, profound and powerful work of the Holy Spirit in the life of this young man. And uh, the way that that spills over into the life of that young man's family and into the life of his church family now, um, the, the, the profession of faith that he will make in a couple of weeks, professing that Jesus Christ is his Lord as he is baptized, I think all of that is miraculous. I pray for miracles every single day. Largely, those are within the realm of medical issues. Um, I pray with sick people every single day. And every time I pray with somebody who's sick, I pray that God would inter intervene and bring healing. Um, and I pray that he would do so miraculously. Now, whether he uses medicine or treatments or physicians or whatever the case may be, or just a word from his mouth. We don't care about the mechanism. We just ask that he would intervene miraculously. And we're seeing, I mean, we're seeing that right now. There's a woman who is a member of our church who is alive today. And there was not a single human being on the planet who thought she would still be alive today. I mean, it's just unbelievable. The doctors, I mean, they, she's been transferred to different medical facilities and, and they're just their, their eyebrows are up and their eyes are wide and saying that this shouldn't be happening. Uh, we believe that is the, the direct intervention of Almighty God. I've seen God absolutely um, give the precious gift of children to those who, who labored so long under infertility. Um, and and, and I, I had a joy. Oh, my goodness. Pardon me. Um, 
I had a joy on Sunday as I was preaching about Zechariah and Elizabeth and their struggle with infertility. As I looked out at the congregation and saw a couple that I had met with and I had counseled with and that I had wept with, and they're holding their baby. Mm. And um, I believe that's miraculous. I believe that's of God. And, um, and so I absolutely believe that God does miracles today. I believe that it is altogether right and good and proper for us to ask him to work in miraculous ways. Uh, and I do that multiple times a day uh, in my own life and in the lives of so many other people. Um, so should we expect God to intervene miraculously? Yes. Uh, do I think that, um, you know, I don't know that we're going to get another John the Baptist necessarily, uh, but I do absolutely believe that we should seek God's miraculous intervention. Now, here's, here's the caution. The caution is every time you look in the Bible at a miracle, the point of the miracle is never the miracle. The point of the miracle is the glorification of Almighty God. So throughout the Bible, there were seasons where miracles were more prevalent, and it often had to do with God affirming His work through a human being. So you think about Moses. Uh, when Moses was going before Pharaoh, hey, they were miracles. When the Exodus was happening, there were miracles, uh, all sorts of miracles. These were things that, that Moses hadn't seen in his 80 years previous. Um, why? Because God was establishing the validity of the ministry of Moses. You look at Elijah and then following the ministry of Elisha. The, the miraculous that took place in the ministry of Elijah, and then as Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit, the, the essential doubling of the amount of miracles that happened in Elijah's ministry, in Elisha's ministry, um, the miraculous that happened in and around the ministry of Jesus Christ as God was establishing that, the miraculous that happened in and around um, the birth of the church through Peter and John. I'm thinking of, of Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4. But, but the miracles that happened during that time, uh, it seems like the, the greater portion of miraculous intervention happens when God is seeking to verify and validate what he is doing through human beings who, who otherwise might be dismissed as just mere human beings, you know, that, that, that they're not speaking for God and, and those sorts of things. But I think that, that even though those sorts of miracles aren't as prevalent right now, I think it is altogether right and good and appropriate for us to ask God to miraculously intervene in our lives and in the lives of others. And, and as I said, I do so multiple times every single day. Yeah, this discussion made me think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So oh. they they all needed to have children to continue on with the promises given to Abraham, right? So Abraham needed to have children in order to you know be a father of nations. Yep. And then same with Isaac and same with Jacob. Um, but they all had incredible, you know, uh, barren wives who then had children. And, you know, we have all these stories in Genesis. Um, but then the flip side of that is that they were also given promises that they would have the land and, you know, their children would have the land, but they didn't see that. That's exactly right. Yeah. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not inherit the land themselves, um, you know, and then their children inherited it. But, you know, that Moses didn't ever enter in the land. No. You know? Um, I've seen the mountain from which he looked over into the promised land, and I looked back at it from the promised land, and that just gave me goosebumps, just as it did on that day, as I looked across and said, wow, Mount Nebo. You know, I was just, it's phenomenal. But to, 
it's so interesting to me that so often God allows us to be in Red Sea moments. Think of Moses and the, and the children of Israel at the Red Sea. they got the Red Sea on one side, and they have got the army of Egypt on the other side. They are between a rock and a hard place. And if God doesn't do something, then it's over. They're, they're destroyed. Yeah. And so often God allows us to get into places where if he doesn't do something, then we're done. And then he does something. And I think that, that that results in his glory in our lives. That results in his glory as other people see that happen. And we magnify the Lord as a result of his mighty hand at work in our lives. So if you feel like you're between a rock and a hard place right now, and you're asking God to intervene miraculously, know that that is good, but don't make it an idol. Will you still serve him even if he doesn't? Will you still worship him even if he doesn't? And, uh, and that's the caution on the other side of this, that we not worship the miracle, we worship the miracle worker who is Almighty God. Amen. Well, that'll wrap up our discussion of the Advent Sunday of Hope. Listeners, if you have any questions about the Advent Sunday of Hope or anything else about Advent, just go to the link in the show notes or comment on the post below. Jeff, can you finish us out for today? Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for hope. We're so thankful for hope. And the season of Advent reminds us that you, O Lord, are the giver of everlasting hope. Lord, the hope that you give us anchors our souls, and it keeps us looking ever forward to the great future that you have for us. For if we are in Jesus Christ, our future opens up before us, and it literally has no end. And so help us, Lord, help us to dwell in that hope and help us to share it with others this Advent season. We ask these things trusting you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley, and our editors are Chadwick Walden and Fu Ying Engdahl.